Okay, it's just past one o'clock, so let's uh, make a start. A very warm welcome to you to Gospel in the City, especially maybe if last week was your first week and you've made it back. Thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. Um, this week, we will be continuing in our series in Exodus. We will be considering what God saves people for. Um, last week we had uh, a uh, special talk considering is faith just a psychological question. If you missed that or you'd like to hear it again, then do head over to the website. The link's up there. Uh, it was uh, most beneficial uh, to us. But as I said, we are um, continuing in the series. But before we think about that, just, just a quick uh, notice, I suppose. We, just before Christmas, we held two events. And the leadership team are going to be meeting shortly to do, kind of review what went well, what didn't went well, which you know what we could improve. And we'd really like your feedback. So if um, even if you weren't able to come along, uh, there are questions um, for you to answer on the survey as well. So um, is it on the handout today? It's not on the handout, but it's on the email. So in the email that uh, you would have got sent. Please head to the link and just answer the, the quick questions. So that would really help us to hopefully next year make the events even more um, useful and profitable for us all. Great. So now, so this week um, we are um, uh, continuing our series in Exodus, as I said. Um, our first um, talk, which was two weeks ago, looked at Exodus 1 and 2, and we're thinking about what the world is like without God. This week, we're thinking about what God saves us for, and then over the next seven weeks, we'll be taking uh, one commandment each week. And so that will take us um, into, the middle of, into the middle of March. So before I read the text, why don't I lead us in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for gathering us together to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, we pray that you might help us to concentrate, help us not to be thinking about the business of the day. Um, but um, we thank you that you are God who speaks uh, and a God who saves. And so we pray, please, uh, that we might benefit from uh, today's talk. In your name we pray. Amen. Great. So I believe you have handouts um, on your table. So I'll be reading the first uh, paragraph of Exodus 19. So Exodus 19, verse 1 to 6. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, 
Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, you should have a handout there on your tables. Um, hopefully you can see that. We've got some large print ones available as well, if, uh, if that is a, that's a help. Um, it's worth having a look at that this week, uh, particularly. We've got quite a few quotes on there uh, that we'll be looking at as we go through. So we're doing, um, we're doing this kind of two-part sort of mini-series to set up for the Ten Commandments, looking at the book of Exodus in kind of two key, two key passages. Uh, the book of Exodus is in the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's the second book in the Old Testament, and it's all about freedom. It's all about how God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and uh, brings them uh, into, into freedom. Um, freedom's been on my mind recently. I've been reading this great history of the United States of America. And um, one of the things that the, the historian says about America is that, is that the idea of liberty, of freedom, was the kind of captivating idea of, of America. It's what kind of bound all these different states together across this vast continent was the idea of, of freedom and liberty. And I suppose in many ways, that kind of American dream of freedom has really set the agenda, hasn't it? for the rest of the Western world, at least, if not, if not more broadly. The idea that we could be free is something that really uh, attracts us today. Well, last week, um, or two weeks ago, sorry, um, when we looked at Exodus chapters 1 and 2, we saw that freedom is not a world without God. In Exodus 1 and 2, God is in the background very much of events. Um, there are no rules. Nobody's kind of following God's law And so instead, naked power is what is ruling the day. Uh, The pharaoh uh, is is the leader of Egypt, and he is worried by the size of the Israelite population, this kind of immigrant population in his land. And so he subjects them to slavery, forced bondage. Um, And it's interesting to see how how much that parallels um, what I've been reading about in the history of the United States of America. Uh, Slavery, it seems, is always built on fear. Um, people are afraid of what a group is going to do to them, and so they subject them to slavery. But then, of course, that only creates more of a fear of that population than rising up, and so they become more and more harsh. That's the cycle that you see in Exodus 1 and 2, and it's the cycle that you saw in the United States of America too. You get into this cycle of fear leading to evil, which leads to more and more fear, and that's what it's like in a world without God, where only naked power rules. When we don't have God's, When we don't have God... When we don't have any laws to follow, it's simply about who can dominate other people. It creates fear and it creates a cycle of evil. But God, in his mercy and his faithfulness to his promises, steps in in the book of Exodus. He appoints Moses uh, to be the leader of his people, a kind of a rescuer, a saviour. And then uh, we get the famous se- sequence of plagues, um, culminating in the tenth plague, uh, the, the event of Passover, uh, when God... Um, uh, saves his people by telling them to prepare uh, a Passover lamb to paint its blood on the doorposts of their houses. And that means that when a destroying angel passes over their houses 
Uh, the Israelites who have got the blood of the lamb on their doorposts will be saved. And in every Egyptian house that doesn't have the blood of the lamb, the oldest uh, child is, is killed. And that finally means that Pharaoh is willing to release the people of Israel from slavery. And then he pursues them in his anger um, as far as the Red Sea. God opens the way through the Red Sea. The people uh, pass through the Red Sea unharmed uh, while the Egyptians pursue and God closes the Red Sea over them and they drown. And God saves his people. And this is all summarized for us. This is what we're kind of skipping over. And this is all summarized for us in verse four of our passage today. Uh, God says to his people, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. That idea of eagle's wings is is telling us, isn't it, that the, the people of Israel didn't do anything in this salvation. It was all God. It was him sending the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea. God carried them on eagle's wings. And interestingly, lots of sermon series on Exodus sort of stop here with the people being set free from their slavery in Egypt. But our verse doesn't stop here. Let's carry on reading. Verse 4. See, you've see, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And this is the first point that we need to see this uh, lunchtime. Freedom is not a world without God. Freedom starts by being brought to God. Um, and this is uh, obviously all being spoken at Mount Sinai. And there's obviously this great, um, this great uh, experience of, of the thunder and the lightning and the cloud of God's glory coming down on the top of this mountain. And you can imagine the people of Israel gathered around the foot of the mountain, awestruck as they hear God speaking to them, uh, telling them how he's brought them to himself. Freedom is not a world without God, but a world where God, if you like, fills our vision, where we see and enjoy the presence of God uh, for ourselves. It's a, it's a world where the abuse of power is replaced by the life-giving power of God. Now, this event of coming to Sinai is not a one-off in the book of Exodus. It's actually the whole point. So the people of Israel will leave Sinai and they'll go to the promised land, the land of Israel, uh, where God has promised to, to make them live. But the event of Sinai carries on with them. Uh, God instructs them to build a tabernacle, uh, a place where he can dwell, a tent uh, in the midst of the Israelite camp. And that tent is really a portable version of Sinai. And the people of Israel realize just how important this is. They understand that true freedom is about being brought to God. Because at one point, um, God tells them to go to the promised land, but he's not going to go with them. And the people just refuse. They go on strike because they will not allow uh, God to leave them. They are only interested in going to the promised land if God is with them. And so the people understand um, that freedom starts with being brought to God. Freedom is being face-to-face with the God who made us to know and love him. Well, if we're Christians at this lunchtime, I hope we're really confident about this. I hope we're really confident that the God that we worship is the God who we are all made to know, the God who gives us freedom when we are in a relationship with him. When we're thinking about sharing our faith with uh, people around us in the workplace, we're not sort of offering them a sort of a backup plan. 
if your life has turned out to be not that great, um, or if you're worried about what happens when you die, don't worry, I've got this great insurance policy. Well, well that's not what we're doing. We've got a few great insurance uh, salespeople uh, with us today, uh, which is great. But we're, we're offering something more than just an insurance policy uh, for when you die or if life doesn't work out. And we're also offering something more than another slavery. Sometimes as Christians, it can feel pretty tough going, can't it? Going to church week by week, maybe being involved in an organization, maybe feeling like you should come out to something like this on a Wednesday lunchtime. But that's not ultimately what we're about. What we are offering people is the chance to be brought to God, to the God who made us to know him and to love him. And that is true freedom. Um, The Greek philosopher uh, Plato, you can see on your handout, Uh, said that man is the most religious animal. We all have this desire to worship something, uh, according to Plato. And more recently, um, uh, I I mentioned him last week, uh, the English philosopher who died a couple of weeks ago, Roger Scruton, uh, said recently that human beings have a need for the sacred. And he was saying that as somebody who describes himself as a deeply uh, sceptical kind of a thinker, but he acknowledged that human beings have a need for the sacred. And uh, the great church father, Augustine, kind of fleshes out what, where that's really going. Uh, he said, um, Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So freedom is, uh, starts with being brought to God. I hope we're really confident about that if we're Christians. Um, If we're not Christians, you may be thinking, well, hang on, how does all this story of the Exodus all the way back thousands of years ago have anything to do with me and how I get brought to God? Well, it's important to see, and we only have time to kind of talk about this very briefly, uh, this story of the Exodus is really a picture, uh, a sort of a foretelling of how Christ brings us to God. So in in the story of the Exodus, it all really starts happening when a mysterious figure called the Angel of the Lord Uh, comes down in a burning bush and meets with Moses and commissions Moses to be this rescuer. And then the angel of the Lord uh, instructs Moses to do all the various miracles, and he's empowering Moses to do all these various miracles. Uh, And the angel of the Lord instructs Moses to to do the Passover lamb thing so that everybody will be saved. And then when the people uh, leave Egypt, the angel of the Lord goes ahead of them in in a pillar of cloud and fire, leading them to Mount Sinai. And um, Christians throughout the ages have identified this angel of the Lord with no less a person than Jesus Christ. We haven't got time to go into why that is today. But that helps us, I think, to join the dots of what's going on here. It's the angel of the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, who brings us to God through his power. And he doesn't just tell us how to kind of make make a sacrifice to escape from death. He actually is our Passover lamb who dies for our sins in order to bring us to God. And so he goes ahead of us, like the the pillar of the cloud and pillar of fire, and he leads us home to God's presence. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we follow Jesus according to the New Testament, and when we trust in his sacrifice for us, he brings us to God's presence forever. So that's, we can only kind of begin to talk about that now. If you're interested in following that up more, uh, come and chat to me afterwards. But the important thing I want us to see now um, for the rest of this lunchtime is that's not the end of the story. Freedom uh, begins, it starts with being brought to God. But that's not the end. 
Because freedom, secondly, uh, grows by becoming more like God. And we can see that in our verses that Tom read. So carry on into verse 5 of chapter 19. Now, therefore, the Lord says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So can you see what a transformation the Lord is offering here? These are people who just a few months ago were slaves in Egypt with no respect, no identity, no purpose. They were just machines. And God says to them, no, you're going to be kings and queens. And and not just kings and queens in any ordinary sense. These are going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be a holy nation. This is going to be a people where everybody has the privilege of access to God and relationship with him, uh, able to enjoy the company of God. Um, Just picking up a little bit more on this word holy, they're going to be a holy nation. Um, Later on in, um, in the story of the Exodus and then on into the next book, Leviticus, God says to his people, be holy as I am holy. So this call to be a holy nation... It's not a call to be sort of narrow or weird. It's actually a call to be like God, to be holy as he is holy. Uh, I've got a quote there that I really like from a guy called Anthony Tuckney. Now, he won't mean much to most of us, um, but he was somebody who was uh, on the committee that helped uh, draft the Westminster Confession of Faith, which has been a very influential uh, sort of textbook or... uh, or sort of standard of kind of evangelical uh, thinking. So here's what he says. um, Likeness to God, an imitation of him in hatred of sin, in holiness, righteousness, and all other graces, is as a transcript of what is in God originally and infinitely. So do you follow that? God is kind of infinitely holy. And God says to us, you get to be like me. You get to be holy too. Not infinitely holy, not originally holy like God is, but a transcript, a copy in our human selves of what God is like. So holiness is not a sort of a weird uh, minority sport. Uh, It's our destiny. It's what we're meant to be. It's what we're saved for. And it's the path, therefore, to freedom from slavery, from uh, being under the, the death, Uh, deadly power of Pharaoh, to the life-giving power of the Lord. The more holy we are, the more free we'll be, because the more like God we'll be, and he is ultimately free. Now, I think that's hard for us to hear as as good news um, in our culture, because we've got to accept that holiness has got a fairly bad reputation today. And that, I think, is because we've often mixed up true holiness with all sorts of other uh, extra things, Uh, So there's a book that's quite helpful on all this uh, called The Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. Anyone read this? Yeah, three people, four people, yeah. Um, Come and have a look at that if you're interested in in reading about holiness a bit more. It's it's a very accessible book. Um, But um, he's talking about how, I suppose, we we don't really think very uh, much about holiness today. We've got a hole in our holiness. And he says one of the reasons is, is it was too common in the past to equate holiness with abstaining from a few taboo practices such as drinking, smoking, and dancing. 
Godliness meant you avoided the no-no list. And younger generations have little patience for these sorts of rules. Um, there's a fear that the passion, a passion for holiness makes you some sort of weird holdover from a bygone era. As soon as you share your concern about swearing or about avoiding certain movies or about modesty or sexual purity or self-control or just plain godliness, people look at you like you have a moralistic dab of cream cheese on your face from the 1950s. Now, he's, he's an American, so I think maybe that makes more sense, the moralistic dab of cream cheese. Thankfully, nobody's looked at me like I've got one of those on my face. But people do look at us weirdly, and some of you are looking at me slightly weirdly now when I'm talking about holiness as being a really good thing. But it is. True freedom is to be uh, a holy people. But we need to understand, I guess, what true holiness is. And this is where the Ten Commandments come in. So do you see in our, in our verse, verse 5, The Lord says uh, to the people through Moses, if you will indeed obey my voice. And then um, after Moses comes down the mountain, there's this big build-up in the rest of our passage um, that we didn't read uh, until the third day. And you see verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brings out all the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And then we get over the page, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And the Lord spoke all these words, and he gives the people the Ten Commandments. This is um, the Ten Commandments. Can you see how they're linked? God's saying, Obey my voice, listen to my voice, and then we get the big build-up. And then God gives us these Ten Commandments to the people to help, him, to help them uh, to, to know what it looks like to be holy. So this is the third point then. Uh, freedom grows by becoming more like God, and that happens as we obey God's voice in the Ten Commandments. Um, and that is why, over the next uh, few weeks, we are going to be looking uh, in more detail at the Ten Commandments. And you might be thinking, well, hang on, why are we spending so long at Gospel in the City going through such a small amount of Bible verses, ones that are from a very old part of the Bible and ones that are all about um, the law? Uh, Well, I want to give us, just for the the rest of our time, three principles that are going to guide us as we look at the Ten Commandments uh, so that we can understand them rightly. And I think these will kind of show us why it's good to be looking at the Ten Commandments. So we'll go ahead and rattle through these as quick as we can. So um, when we're looking at the Ten Commandments, we haven't suddenly become legalists at Gospel in the City. Um, the Commandments, verse 2 of chapter 20. Sorry, I need to get over the page. Commandments, verse 2, chapter 20. Look at, look at the context in which they come. The Lord says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the context of the Ten Commandments is they are for saved people, people who are out of the house of slavery and are now trying to live as free people. Uh, These are commandments that are going to help these people to become more like God, to become more holy. And um, that means that they're not just uh, for, well, that means they're for God's saved people through, oh, uh, getting ahead of myself. Um, Right, I'll just read this. Just as the angel of the Lord on the third day spoke commands, from the mountain to God's saved people. So the risen Jesus calls his church to obey everything I have commanded you. So following God's commands, it's not legalism, it's what saved people do. 
Um, good. Okay, number two, they are for all time. Um, so most Christians are aware that uh, a lot of the laws given to the people of Israel at this time weren't permanent. They're not forever, and we don't have to follow them as laws today. So there's laws about not eating shellfish, not, eat, not wearing clothes of mixed fibers, various other laws that today as Christians we don't see as binding laws for us uh, today. And so we might think, well, well what is, uh, is that just what's going on with the Ten Commandments? Well, the answer is no. There's something very distinctive about the Ten Commandments that that you can see even in our passage uh, here today. So we read there from Exodus 19, verse 16, and we saw about the the thunder and the lightning and the the thick cloud and the trumpet blast. We'll now look at the end of the Ten Commandments, uh, chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. So can you see that either side of these ten commandments, there is thunder and lightning and thick darkness, thunder, lightning, and thick darkness. The ten commandments are separated off as being something very distinctive, something very special. The next few chapters of Exodus give us loads and loads and loads of other laws, but they're not given the kind of the the focus and the separate nature that the ten commandments have. So these ten commandments are meant to be seen as distinctive from all the other laws that come at this time. Now, the, the Ten Commandments are still framed for Old Testament people. So they talk about oxen and, and donkeys and servants. And we'll have to think carefully about the Sabbath day and the seventh day. Um, but what I think we can see is we look at the, the way these commandments are unpacked in Exodus and also as they're unpacked in the rest of the Bible, is that behind each one, there is a kind of a permanent moral principle Something that God says is always going to be how he wants us to live. Um, They show us, these Ten Commandments, uh, what it means to live rightly as a human being for all time. And so you can see, you know, most societies have versions of these Ten Commandments. Um, And that shouldn't surprise us then to see that a lot of people in our offices would agree with most of these Ten Commandments. That shouldn't surprise us because they reflect God's permanent law, his permanent will for us for all time. They're how people are meant to live. Um, now, one way that we know that, if you're thinking, oh, Sam, you're going, uh, going a bit sort of speculative here and that kind of thing, one way we know that is from Jesus himself. So I haven't got this on your handouts, but I'm going to read you a little section from Matthew's Gospel. So uh, somebody com- comes up to Jesus in Matthew 22 and says to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So if you want to know what is the most important thing we need to do, we've got to love God with everything that we are. Now, what's interesting about that is Jesus is actually quoting there from words of Moses that Moses says after he's just given people the Ten Commandments. Okay, so can you see? The Ten Commandments are showing us how we can love God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our souls. And so this is the third thing um, that we can, we can see about the Ten Commandments. The commandments are for saved people, they're for all time, and they are for all love. They are a comprehensive guide to loving God. G- Moses says, here are the Ten Commandments, and he says, this com- these are going to help you to love God with all your mind, soul, and 
uh, heart. And you can see that in the first four commandments. So we'll see this over the next few weeks. But you can just see, even at a glance, the first four commandments, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, verse 8, are all to do with how we worship God. So they're going to be how we love God. Um, And then Jesus goes on, interestingly, and he then says to this person, there's a second commandment like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love of God, love of neighbor, depend all the law and the prophets. And that's what the, uh, the second half of the Ten Commandments shows us. So you can see uh, verse 12, uh, father and mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then verse 17, you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. So those commandments are all showing us how to love God by loving our neighbor. So Jesus says, love of God is the biggest command, and then under that comes love of neighbor as well. Those are the two greatest commandments. And that's exactly what the Ten Commandments show us. They are for all love. They're a comprehensive guide to loving God by loving him sort of directly in worship and also by loving our neighbor. Right, that was a whistle-stop sort of guide uh, to, uh, to the Ten Commandments and, and, and why I think we're excited at, at Gospel in a City to be looking at them. These are not ancient history. They're not out of date. They're a comprehensive guide to what it looks like to be a human being made in God's image, holy as he is holy. They're, they're a sort of an exercise plan for us to grow to becoming more like God, which is the way that we're all meant to be. And so we're hoping at Gospel in a City um, we'll be able to to learn from these Ten Commandments and learn how we could um, be showing people in our workplaces what true freedom really looks like. Showing people that as we live God's way, that is perfect freedom. And we're hoping that that will, want people, that will attract people to know where, where this comes from, this new life that we've got. It will interest them in the, in the gospel of Jesus, the one who saved us, who brings us to God and then empowers us and calls us to be holy as God is holy. Uh, Father in heaven, we we want to thank you for Jesus, our Savior, uh, who has come to bring us to you. Father, we thank you that this is freedom to know you. And Father, we we also thank you for this call that you give us to be more like you, uh, to love what you love, to hate what you hate. And our Father, we pray that those of us who are Christians here would be wanting to do that, that you'd be teaching us over the next few weeks how it is that we can become more like you and how we can display more of your good character uh, in our workplaces. Uh, We pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.